All right. So this morning I'm going to start a sermon that'll take me a couple of weeks to knock out. Uh, just it just takes it's going to take too long for me to. I was trying to figure out how to jam it all in there, and, and so I'm just going to um, walk through it and work through it. There's a lot of teaching in this, along with preaching. So um, I want to talk about over the next couple of weeks preventing identity theft. Preventing identity theft. In our country, uh, that's a big thing. It's, it's a multi-million dollar business of people wanting to protect your internet and protect your websites and protect your, your credit cards and protect, and got everything from LifeLock to everything that you can name that, that is in the business of protecting your identity or fraud or someone stealing your identity. And let me give you a few statistics when we talk about this. Identity theft in America cost the U.S. $56 billion in 2020. $56 billion. 2.2 million fraud reports uh, came in 2020. And so someone becomes a victim of identity theft every 14 seconds. Probably why I was just starting off talking this morning. Somebody's done hacked your account. Somebody's done got you, and so somebody's going to start pulling up their phone and checking. No, it, it, but I'm just saying, when you start to realize, when people go online, when people are doing things, immediately there's identity theft. There's things going on all the time. Uh, 33% of Americans have been a victim of identity theft. Somebody has stolen their identity at some time. Anybody ever had that happen? I have. I get a call and said, did you purchase something in... In San Diego, California, last night, I'm like, no. Well, somebody bought something on your account, and I'm like, well, it wasn't me. It wasn't me. So we all are constantly, if you, as you grow up, you will find out that trying to protect and watch out. And I've had to, at different times, change my credit card as far as from different things because that, that card was, was, was hacked or that number was, was unsecure anymore. Well, 2.5 million identities are stolen every year. So at least I'm not alone. 2.5 million people lose their identity or have it stolen. Million, uh, millennials, you, you younger people from the age of 22 to 44, account for about 35% of it. Y'all do a lot of Amazon shopping. Y'all do a lot of floating on the internet. You just keep Oh, just put your credit card in. Y'all are notorious for this. So you're the, you're the one that gets nailed the most, but it, it, you don't have a whole lot of money, so it's not really that big a deal. Yes, because the 60 to 69 age group, the 60-year-old to 69, that group lost the most in fraud-induced expenses. So when they hit us old folks, they hit us for good. Y'all's credit limit, many times you start off with a credit card, $1,000, $2,000. By the time you get old, they just say, we upped your credit limit. We upped your credit I didn't ask. I, di I didn't say. We just went ahead and helped you out and gave you more. And, and, and so as you get older, this becomes part of the process. Let me give you one more. The gross losses from gift cards in 2021 was $148 million. I saw this on television the other day where people will, uh, crooks will go in and, and take and steal the, steal the cards, take them home, swipe them, get the good out of them, so that if you ever 
accredit them, they quickly can take the money off of it. So you get a gift card, but what it is, they've taken it back into the store and put it back on the rack. So as you buy, so what do they tell you? Always reach, take a few off, and then get one. Don't get the one right on the front. Anybody ever heard that? Anybody see that article? Anybody see? Some of y'all are like, I've scared most of you this morning. I have not, I've not helped you this morning. I have terrorized you. So I hope that we, that's a good start to our sermon, just scaring you about identity theft and fraud and all that goes on. Because go with me to 1 Peter 2 and 9, a very simple scripture, but one that's hard to grasp. Here's what it says, but you are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood. And chosen generation literally means you didn't pick God, God picked you. You didn't, you didn't ask to be in the kingdom. God revealed the kingdom to you. God gave you and showed you and called you into his kingdom. So it, it, is, it is all from his side of saying, look, I want you in this family. I hope that you will choose what I'm revealing to you. You can't come up with this within your own mind. I'm giving you this. Therefore, I've made you a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into this marvelous light. So how do I know that my identity has not been stolen in my spiritual life? Because every day of my life, if I'm getting up and praises are coming from my life, if every day I get up that I may proclaim the praises of him who called me out of darkness into his marvelous light, if that is the norm of my life, if I got up this morning and, and, and everything just going on and all the stuff in the world and, and, and everything taking place, but I got up this morning and somebody said, how are you doing? Man, I'm doing better, I'm telling you, than I deserve. I, God has been good. If that got any better, I had to start selling some of it. I'm telling you, God has been good to me. If you got up that way, then you understand your identity. You know who you are. Some of you got up this morning and your identity has been stolen. You're not sure who you are. You're attached to this world in such ways to where it's like what's happening in it really bothers you. Your identity. If you don't have the right person in your life, you don't have the right family situation, if things aren't going good, if, if life isn't the way you want it. The beauty of the Bible stories is that th we admire these people because no matter what situations or circumstances or problems or trials or, or infertility or whatever it might be, a woman, man, whatever, we look at them and we're like, we're amazed at they never lost identity during their trials. Job never lost his identity. Abraham never lost his identity. Hannah never lost her identity. She knew who to keep calling on, who to keep running to. And in life, your identity is the most important thing that you have. In, in, in human life, it is. Because listen to me, in the human life, if you lose your identity, it forfeits your destiny. Let's say I want to go buy a car. And I go to the car lot, and I say, I want to purchase one of these cars. And they say, well, let me pull up your credit. Well, somebody's done hacked my credit. Somebody has already done, done destroyed all my credit. Now, first thing they're going to say, look, we, we can't. You're going to have to go to somebody else because we can't work with you because your identity, if, if you do anything, the first thing they're going to say is 
bring proof of identity. We can't do business unless you bring proof of identity. So many times in my life, I have to keep up my social security card. I have to keep up my driver's license. I have to keep up with, because I have to show proof that I am who I say I am. Listen to me very carefully. In the world, this is a minor thing. I can, I can make some phone calls, get a few things fixed, but listen to me very carefully. In the spiritual realm, your spiritual identity destroys destinies. If you lose your identity, you cannot move toward destiny. If you lose your identity, you forfeit everything destiny-wise God has for you. Don't let somebody say, well, God's going to do whatever God... No, no. It'll work out anyway. It may work out, but it won't be with you. You will forfeit your destiny by not knowing who you are in your identity. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Let me see if I can show it to you. Go with me to Genesis 1 and 26. I've been preaching a lot in Genesis this week to different groups, and, and uh, you're going to get a different version of it. Good. Not the same talk. So let's understand this. So if the enemy, if the devil is coming after you, he is coming after your identity. He doesn't need anything else from you. Everything else shuts down on the understanding that you don't know in your identity. Everything else stops. As long as he can hold your identity, he has you. He doesn't have to worry about your destiny. He doesn't have to worry about what you're going to become. Let me show you in Genesis how important this is. Genesis 1 and 26. Then God said, let us make man in what? Our image. According to our likeness. Then let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and every creeping thing. Listen to me. Your life did not begin with dominion. Your life did not begin with authority. Your life begins with identity. When God in, in Genesis 1 and 26 is creating you, your image is who you are. You are a reflection. Everything else God created, everything else God created was a substance. He just created substance. Everything that is, is is a substance. That's why when people ask questions like, will there be uh, my cat in heaven? I don't know. God may recreate your cat because it's just a substance. It's not a real, real thing. It's just the substance of things that God says, I've provided for you so that you can live in this earth and live on this world and have things to have dominion over. But when I created you, I created you differently. I created you in my image. Trees are a substance. A tree doesn't worry about being anything else. It can't be anything else. Uh, uh, an animal can't be anything but an animal. It's just a substance. 
I don't care how many times we make cartoons where they can talk. I don't care how many times we make movies, birds and cats and dogs and whatever else, and we try to make them sound like they have human feelings or they have human emotions. Listen to me very carefully. They don't. Your dog does not really love you that much. He just wants to be fed or rubbed. And he will do whatever he can, look at you any other way, to have that happen. He has a limited understanding. He is a substance. But ours is an image or a reflection of God. So we look at ourselves and we say, well, I'm not a reflection of God. I'm not. That's because you look at Genesis 2. See, number one, let me give you this to you. Number one, you give off a reflection even if you don't want to. So if I say, well, I don't, I don't want to serve God. I don't want to be a reflection of God. I want to be, a, then it's okay. Then, then you just do drugs. And when people see you, they will say you are a drug addict. You're going to give off a reflection. Keep messing up. Keep doing things wrong. Keep living life in the wrong way. And the world will say, that's a loser. No matter whether you want to or not, you are not a substance. You can't just go through life and do your job and, and live your life and you die and nothing matters and nothing cares and, and it just ends and when you, you're through, you're through and nobody remembers you. That's substance. You're not a substance. When you live, you leave a heritage. You live identity. You leave it on your children, grandchildren, up to three or four generations. They'll still be talking about your identity. Oh yeah, we used to have an uncle like that. Uncle Si, man, I'm telling you, he, he just wasn't all right in the head. Because you are not substance, you are reflection. And you, along with your life, and if you choose to enter the enemy, the Satan, and whoever else you want to enter, and other people's opinions, and you bring all that, they're going to help you create a reflection of your life. So when you see someone who is, who is an alcoholic, it is just a reflection of the life that they have built. If you're a liar, somebody says, don't trust that person. I'm telling you, he'll lie to you. You have created a reflection. You're different. The world can't figure this out. They're trying to figure out how, how can we just be like every other animal. You can't. You are going to give off a reflection. Look at the person beside you and say, you are reflecting something. And if you don't know what it is, probably the person beside you can tell you. You may not want to ask them, what reflection do I give off? Ooh, I wish you wouldn't ask me that. You're untrustworthy. You lie. You... you but God said, let us make man in our image to give off our reflection. That's what you were designed to do. So, number one, you give off a reflection. So, when Satan comes to attack you, you need to get this. When Satan comes to attack you, he will always attack your identity. Always. 
when, when the Bible says the enemy has come to kill, steal, and destroy, we mess that Scripture up. We think that he's trying to kill me. No. He's trying to steal all my groceries. He doesn't need your groceries. He's trying to destroy my life. No, he's not. He's trying to kill, steal, and destroy your identity. If you lose your identity, all the other things that in the flesh you see happen, that's just the natural reaction. Satan didn't put you on drugs. Satan robbed you of identity. Satan didn't make you an alcoholic. He created a lack of identity. Satan didn't make you a liar. He just stole your identity, and so lying became the substitute for your identity. Oh, this is, this is good stuff. So in, in your life, you say, brother, show that to me. Well, go with me to Genesis 3 then. First time Satan ever shows up. First time Satan ever attacks. Anything he's ever done. He's, never, he's got one attack. So let's see what he uses. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. She's not supposed to eat of the fruit. Satan comes in the form of a serpent says, don't, don't worry about that. God's holding out on you. You won't die. Listen, God knows that in the day that you eat it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God. Or in your interpretation may be as a God or as God's. So here is Satan's temptation. If you eat of this fruit, you will have a better identity than you have right now. If you do this, your identity will change. Your eyes will be open. You will be like God, and you will know good from evil. So the whole point was is that Satan came, and this is, number two, the biggest temptation that you have to go through. When God made you, go back to Genesis 1 with me. And God said, let us make man in what does he say? Our image according to our likeness. Look at the person beside you and say, you are to be God-like. Your identity is to be God-like. That's who you're supposed to be, like God. Like God. If you substitute it at any moment, then what you're saying is, I don't want to be like God. I want to be as God. If I run up to an alcoholic, man, I just I need about four hours. If I ran up to an alcoholic and I looked at them and I said, do you want to be an alcoholic the rest of your life? No. Would you like to be free? Yes. Then give your life to God. No. I'll remain an alcoholic. Why? Because listen to me, Eve did not eat of the tree to eat an apple. She did not eat it so that she could eat a, eat a special fruit for the first time that she's never eaten. She didn't eat the fruit to eat the fruit. We always, 
make it about that. We always want, want the story to be like, oh, she saw the fruit and saw that it was good. Man, she just thought, oh, this is such good fruit. I'm gonna. That was not what she was after. The deal was, is if you eat this fruit, you won't be God-like anymore, but you will be like God. You, you, you will be as God yourself. The substitute is always man wants to be as God. Man wants to go to church when they want to go to church, pray when I want to pray, read my Bible when I want to read my Bible, cuss when I want to cuss, drink when I want to drink, lie when I want to lie, do what I want to do, and I want to be in charge of the whole thing, and I want to be able to say, I did it my way. I want to be as God. So Eve says, that's what I want. Let's, let's keep reading. Go with me back to Genesis 3, 4 and 5. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not, you surely not die. For God knows that in the day you eat, your eyes will be open and you will be like God. If you read right past that, can you pull up any more of that? Let's just keep reading there. I want to just, I'm throwing this on you. So when the woman saw the tree, that it was good for what? It was the right time, the right moment. The fruit was ripe, that it was pleasant to the, but why did she eat it? And the tree desirable to make one wise. I want to be more than I am with God. The only reason somebody drinks alcohol is because they want to be more than what God made them. The only reason somebody lies to you is because they want to be more than what God made them. The reason somebody cheats on their wife is because they want to be more than what God made it. What the enemy is always offering you is a different identity. He's offering you the opportunity to trade your being like God to being as a God. You get it. So number two, God has called us to be God-like, but not like God. This is the attack that Satan brings. If you don't believe this is the same attack, go with me to Matthew 4. Matthew 4. Beginning at verse 3, here's what he says. Now that when the tempter came to him, this is Jesus, first time Satan's going to attack Jesus. When the tempter came to Jesus, he asked his missed question. If you are the, who's he after? what's he after? Identity. If you are the Son of God, then turn these stones into bread. If you are the Son of God, if you can't, I mean, if you are who you say you are, he's, he's making him decide, do you trust your identity? In fact, verse 6 says the same thing. And he said unto him, if you are the Son of God, then throw yourself down. He carries him to a high place. He says, if you are the Son of God, 
then throw yourself down, for it is written, he shall give angels charge over you, and in their hands he shall bear you up. Your foot won't be dashed against a rock. Nothing's going to happen to you. If you are the Son of God, then let's... Anytime Satan comes after you, he's going to attack your identity. If you really were a good father, if you really were a good wife, if, if, if you really did love me, Satan can use people the same way. How many young ladies have, have given away their bodies because some young man says, if you really loved me, I'm wanting to change your identity. I'm wanting to change who you are. And this is what he does on a normal basis. Now, let me show it to you. Go back with me again to Genesis 1 and 26. Genesis 1 and 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let him have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth to do it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the earth, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. This is God creating our first form. And in our first form, we are a spirit being. Our dominion comes from spirit. Our dominion comes from God saying, I'm going to make you in my image. God did not have flesh. God did not have a body. So when God made you in his image, he created your spirit first. That's why Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 is split. Because in Genesis 1, it sounds like, well, God's just rewriting it. God is, is saying, well, I made man. Oh, let me go back and tell you. Oh, yeah, I made man. No, no. In Genesis 1, he's describing how he made him. I spoke man into existence, and I am a spirit, and I made man as a spirit being. He is not a substance. I created him in my image, so therefore he is a spirit being. His power, his authority, his dominion, everything comes from spirit. Everything comes from spirit. So now go with me to Genesis 2. Here's what he said. And the Lord formed man. He went back and he rewrote it, right? No, he's explaining to you that then what I did was I spoke man and made him a spirit being, but I had to encapsulate him in this world so God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and he became a living being. Then the Lord planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he did what? He put man that he had formed. Go to verse 15 of that same. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and... Your identity is always given to you before position. 
I can't tell you how many people I meet every single day of my life, pastors, well, I wish I pastored that church. Let me go ahead and tell you something. You couldn't pastor this church. You don't have the capability. Now, that's going to hurt a lot of people's feelings, but listen, let me explain something to you, how God does business. God first gives you your identity, then He positions you where you belong. The only reason you are not where you are right now, where you think you should be, is because you can't handle the position. Well, I wish God sent me somebody to marry. You can't handle the position. I wish God give me a big old minute. You can't handle the position. God does not give position until He gives an understanding that you know your identity. If you go get a job tomorrow, and let's say you're going to work at Community Bank, and Gene walks you in and, and says, right here, I'm going to put you behind this teller's desk, and, and we're going to get you set up. Here, here's a whole bunch of money in front of you now. And, and look, I'll check on you at 12 o'clock and just tell me how you're going. Do you think that's how they hire you at the bank? No. First, they have to trust and know your identity and know who you are, what your position is. And then one day they say, now this is what we've been training you for the whole time. Now I'm going to put you here, but I'm going to stand right here the first day or two. We're going to just make sure you got this because we don't need you giving $100,000 away to somebody that ain't supposed to get $100,000. You first have to know your identity before you ever have. We accept that in the world, but in God, we're always like, God, this is what I want. This is what I want. This is what I want. And when God doesn't give us what we want, then God's a bad God. God's a horrible God. No, he isn't. He's trying to get you what you wanted. But he's always going to start with your identity. He's never going to start with your position. He's first going to create you, design you, fashion you, make you for the position. And then when He puts you in it, you'll be able to survive it. Go with me to Matthew 4 and 19. Let me show it to you. Matthew 4 and 19. Then He said to them, this is the disciples. They wanted to all be preachers. They all wanted to, to do ministry. They all wanted to be part of Jesus' ministry. And Jesus says, follow me. And I will, what's the word? Look at that person beside you and say, make you. This is the way it always works. Follow me and I will give you a position. No, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. I will form you, fashion you, I will make you. That same word where... God said, we're going to make man in our image, and then we're going to position them. Guess what? We're going to make disciples. Jesus said, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. I will turn you into it. Let me tell you why churches are so messed up right now. Why we have such chaos in churches. Go with me to Matthew 28, and I'll show you. Matthew 28 and 19. I'll, I'll just make it real simple. Here's why. Therefore, go, therefore, and make disciples. 
Let me tell you what a church's job is. It's to take someone who is coming off the street, someone who's coming out of their old lifestyle, someone who's coming out of this, and God says, you know what? I am going to put you in this church. I'm going to put you in this place. And we all of a sudden think, well, boy, God, we're so glad you added all these people to our church. Let me tell you what you got. You got some messed up folks. They haven't been made yet. They've been saved, renewed, regenerated. They've had all that. But listen, they haven't been made. So Jesus told the disciples, your job is to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We don't have no problem with that. And now what we push up, well, you need to be baptized. You need to be baptized. Hey, have you ever been baptized? Walk up to somebody else and just ask them. Hey, did anybody ever teach the stupid out of you? Huh? Well, you know when you came to church, now you were all messed up, tore up from the floor up. You couldn't think straight, had all this junk going on in you. Did somebody ever disciple that out of you? Well, now I don't like, I'm not good at reading. I don't, I don't really like Sundays. I don't like getting in groups. I don't like... Oh, so you're still as dumb as you started. Because our job is to make disciples. And what we've got is we've got a bunch of worldly people going to church every single Sunday morning. Don't know how to vote. Don't know what they stand for. Because they ask God to forgive them, but they never asked anybody to disciple them. So you're still hanging out with the same old dumb friends, still doing the same dumb activities, still stuck in the same mess, and can't figure out why God won't fix it. Church ain't helped you a bit, has it? I love when that phrase finally hits me. Well, I've gone to church, it didn't work. Oh, church works just fine. But they may have let you down by not letting you know how it actually does work. Is this okay? Y'all got quieter on me now. Let me give you number three. Point three. Leadership. Leadership is not who's following you. Leadership has nothing to do with who's following you. Leadership is who you are making. Let me put it to you in a way you would understand it. Some of you had children. You had children. And because you just wanted to be the leader, do what I tell you, do, hey, I'll spank you if you don't listen to me, shut up in the back seat, da, 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 da. you just went through life. One day they grew up and they don't pay you no attention no more. They don't listen to you. They break your heart left and right. Can I tell you what happened? You thought you were leading when you were barking orders. Leading Genuine, real leading means I am making something.
I have not led something until I have made it into something. Not just the fact that you were there. If it's just say preachers. If I say I'm a pastor, well, I'm the leader. Maybe, maybe not. You may be the person that's on the pulpit every Sunday preaching, but you know ain't none of them people doing what you tell them to do. None of them live the way you want them to live. And they bring in chaos in your life all the time with all the junk. You know what the problem is? You preaching, but you're not leading. Leading means I am in the lives of people and I'm making them into something. So genuine leadership means that it's not who's follow, it's not how many people I get to follow me, but it's who we're making. That's why I say all the time, Billy Graham was a humongous success, and Billy Graham was a horrible disaster all at the same time. Anybody like Billy Graham? I love Billy Graham. Big Billy Graham fan. But what was he doing? Preaching. What was he not doing? Leading. He raised a whole generation of people that, quote, got saved with no connectivity to nothing. He was called the great evangelist, not the great pastor, not the great leader. And now we have a generation that sees church that way. It's, it's a moment, an event. It's something I need to check off, but it's not a lifestyle that I have to live. Now, he lived it. He was trained totally different than what he preached. But what he preached was not a system by which he could disciple. Does that make sense? Y'all are awful quiet. Well, then let's, let's, let's get back to understanding. First, he makes spirit... Second, he made flesh. This is why he uses the phrase, go with me to John 3, 1 and 8, and I'll sum it up in a story real quick. This is a conversation between Jesus and a leader of the Pharisees. Somebody who is taught, educated, got all them plaques on the wall. Here's what he says. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi or teacher, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one could do the signs that you do unless God is with you. Now, he, he's trying to start this conversation and really flower Jesus and say, Jesus, we know you're a teacher, we know, and, and I've got a few questions I need to ask you, and, and there's a few things, and I want to see if you can convince me that you are the Messiah. Here's what Jesus says. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. I mean, he just totally flips it. He says, let's just cut through all the chase. You need to be born again, Nicodemus. The problem with you, Nicodemus, is you are flesh first and you have no spirit. You see everything through your flesh. You see everything and you're dead to spirit. You need Nicodemus to be born again. 
Now, uh, when you were first created, you were created first to be a what kind of being? Spirit being. Then He created your what? Flesh. But something died. What died? Spirit. That's Genesis 3. Where Satan came and destroyed the spirit and made the flesh and the spirit died. Jesus said, I've come. And the whole purpose of me coming so that you could be born again. That means twice. Born again. Means you were already born, but you died. Now you need to be born. We need to put the Spirit back in charge. We need to put the life of the Spirit needs to come back in charge. So you need to be go back to the first, go back to being born again. And so he looks at him and says, Nicodemus, how can a man be born again? Nicodemus says, when he is old, can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? So what he's saying is, I, I can't be born twice in the flesh. He's saying that doesn't make any sense. I can't be born twice. You can't go back to your mother's womb and you can't be born twice in the flesh. Here's what Jesus said. Jesus answered, most assuredly I say unto you, unless one is born of water, that's flesh, and of spirit, he cannot see or cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again, Nicodemus. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you cannot tell where it comes from, from and, and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the... Here's, here's the uniqueness of born of the Spirit. How do I know I'm born of the Spirit? Because now I am doing things what I cannot see. The only way that I know that I'm born of the Spirit is every decision, the decisions that are most important are always made because I cannot see them, but I know that they're real. I cannot see them, but I know that it's important. I don't understand where the wind blows. I don't understand how the wind does, but I know this much. I know when I feel it, which way it's blowing. I know when I feel it, which way I'm supposed to turn. I understand. He said the same thing with the Spirit. You can't see the Spirit. You can't touch the Spirit. You can't uh, embrace the Spirit, but you know the Spirit. And he says just the same way the wind blows, you all of a sudden are living your life and making decisions and walking through life. So all these compliments that people give sometimes, and I appreciate them, and they talk about, oh, you, you dreamed up a camp, or, or, or you did this, or, or man, your church has done this. Let me explain something to you. I didn't do anything. I didn't do anything. Don't, that's the reason I'm always reflect, deflecting it. Like, 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 well, you know, it takes a lot. Of, because you don't know what you're saying. You don't understand. In my flesh, I can't see it. And if it's a spiritual thing, it's not mine. 
So anything God's ever revealed to me and showed me and gave me visions to draw and things to do, that all came from my spirit. That all came because God said, Tim, you were dead. You had no spiritual life. You were lost and undone. You were making all your decisions by your flesh and all your decisions by what you felt and what you think and what you had figured out and all your great knowledge. But then I came along and said, I want you to count all of that as nothing and wherever the wind blows now, Tim, I want you to just kind of flow with the wind. I want you to just be blown by the wind. I don't see anything. Don't worry about it. Just, just, just move with the wind. God says to Nicodemus, the wind blows where it wishes. You hear it, you hear the sound of it, but you can't tell where it comes from and where it's going. So is everyone who is born of the... How do I know, Brother Lot? I'm born of the Spirit. Because this morning, there are people who got up and in their mind, they're like, I need to go to church. I need... But they, you know what, I, got, I need to get this grass cut too, so I'm going to stay home and cut my grass. They made their decision off of what they could. I need, I need to pay my tithes. Oh, but you can't. If you saw my bank account, oh, but I don't want to look at your bank account. I don't make my decisions off what my bank account says. If I made my every decision off what my bank account says, I'd be in real bad shape. So, but you can't tell where it comes from. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Go with me to Jeremiah 1, 4 and 5, and I want to show you this Scripture real, and I'm through. I, I can't really break open anymore. I'll deal with the rest of it later. Is that okay? So here's what, here's what Jeremiah says. Now, what I've given you so far, you understand that you were born first a Spirit. Then you're wrapped in do you understand that that's still the way God does business? That's still the way God does business. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in your mother's womb, before I started putting flesh to flesh and bone to bone, before I started all of that, before you were born, I, look at the person beside you and say, he knew you before you ever started growing in your mom's belly. He knew you. He already had the plans for you, designs for you. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. I know to bring you to a good destination, to bring you to a good end. What is he saying? He's saying, in the Spirit, I had already designed what you were supposed to be and who you were supposed to be and the person you were supposed to be. I knew you before you were born and I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations way before you ever even came forth. So listen to me very carefully. It doesn't matter who your mom and dad was. It doesn't matter how you got here. 
All the stuff that people say, well, nobody, I was an unwanted child. Oh, no, 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 no. You were wanted before anybody ever knew you were coming. God had already ordained you. had already Because you were a spirit before you were covered in flesh. You were already designed and fashioned. So when people look at you, and, and maybe you were born in this broken world, and, 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 and you were born with a limp, or you were born farsighted or nearsighted, or you were born, those are just fleshly things. Those are just fleshly things that the enemy says, oh, because of your flesh, you can never accomplish in your spirit now what you want to accomplish. Because you were born blind or because you, were, you weren't in the wrong family or because you dealt with abuse growing up or because you, you went through all of this, then it canceled you out. You, you are a victim now for the rest of your life. Because of your flesh, you will never in your spirit be able to do. And God says, listen to me, I created your spirit way before I created your flesh. And I created your spirit so that one day you would get born again and you would realize that the power that's in you is more powerful than the power that's outside of you. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. So this morning as I stop, let me tell you where I need to stop with you. You need to quit telling yourself you've been through stuff you were born in stuff. You were raised in stuff. You have seen stuff. You have done stuff. That's your flesh. That's your flesh. It has nothing, absolutely no authority over what God wants to accomplish in your spirit. I don't know who you are, but you need to listen to me. The enemy is a thief of identities. And he wants to tag you with an identity that doesn't fit you. I'll give you a, a way that we see it differently than the world. With the abortion thing, somebody says, well, what if someone is raped or someone goes through this? What? See, because I have a deeper understanding than the world does of real life, I can look at a young lady and I can say, would you like to really do something that would just make the devil mad and make your life great? I want you to have the child. And I want you to find some parents that can't have children who in this world, earthly, their flesh has canceled out. They're not able to in their flesh, but in their spirit, they've always wanted to be moms and dads. They were called to be moms and dads. And I want you to find that couple and I want you to present them with that child and say, this is a gift from God. What the enemy went for bad, God said, I can turn it to good. All things work to good to those who love the Lord and are called. What are you saying, Pastor? You're either going to let your flesh every day dictate your identity or you're going to let your spirit tell your flesh who you are. If somebody says, what makes Pastor Lot who he is? This is what it is. It isn't because of my high education, because I don't have any. It's not because of my great intellect, because I don't have any. It isn't because of my great wordsmith, because Lord knows I can't talk right. 
then what makes it's because I don't wake up any day of my life not knowing who I am. My identity is secure. Therefore, I tell my uneducated, dumb-witted, now sometimes not very funny self, get up and let's get going because we got a destiny to get to. And it makes all the difference in the world. Will you stand? The Holy Spirit is moving in this place this morning. And you don't need to step out from where you are. You don't need to move. He's moving right where he is, right where you are. He's speaking right to you. And I don't know who you are this morning that needs to settle this identity issue. But as long as the enemy can steal your identity, he doesn't have to steal your life. He doesn't have to steal your future or your money or anything else. He just needs your identity. Everything else follows. We give him so much credit for, oh, the devil did this. No, he didn't. Once he convinced you you don't know who you are, then you're going to grasp something. You're going to reach out for something in this old world. God sent me by today to tell you, you have an identity. You have a destiny. You have a purpose. Just as sure as Jeremiah, God says, before I formed you in your mother's womb, I already ordained you to be who you were supposed to be. Whoever you are this morning, I can say I'm sorry for what's happened. I can say I'm sorry for your pain. I can say, but more importantly than anything, what I need to tell you this morning is let it go. I'm going to talk next week a little bit more about how to fight off identity theft. How to fight it off. Whoever you are in this room today, you've got to settle it. I am who God says I am. With every head bowed, Father, for that person right now that's struggling with their true identity in You, I speak that in the name of Jesus, they are no longer a victim. That their past is no longer binding them. It never bound them. It was meant to just be a part of the testimony in which their spirit drug their self to their destiny. Father, this morning I pray, I pray that that person realizes my identity is in Christ. I have been born again. If you're in this room and you haven't been born again, then all you need to do is say, Lord, I renounce everything that's ever happened in my flesh. I renounce everything I've ever done to substitute it for the answer. And I declare in the name of Jesus right now that You are Lord and King of all. And that, Lord, today my spirit will be my guide. Like the wind that blows, I will listen for Your voice. And I will follow. Like Jesus told the disciples, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Father, this morning, make us.
Make us that person you designed us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Hey, go give that old devil fits. <laughs>